That is Fontella Bass, Rescue Me, and this is podcast number 308, entitled Phosphorus. And um, I was uh, coming on from the cast I've just done, which has received some very strong, uh, actually positive, uh, resonating response concerning the power of songs, certain songs in one's past uh, to evoke moments of stress, moments of ecstasy, moments of connection, moments of um, disconnection and rejection, and how those um, powerful evocations of past states of mind, often very, very strong and anchored, how we are to really live with them, deal with them, and ultimately, if I may say, put them in a positive, optimistic, and future-oriented rather than a paralyzed, enervated, and bled, B-L-E-D, position. Now, um, the beginning illustration, just a couple days ago, I was reading an article, a very well-intentioned article, I feel certain, entitled, Something, the headline was, it was in a local newspaper down in Tidewater, Virginia, I believe. But the headline went something like this, Virginia Episcopal Churches Wrestle with Legacy of Slavery. And I, um, there's no question that it's a legacy in some of these 300-year-old ancient churches, but it did, by the way, include a Presbyterian church, which I've attended, actually, I mean, seen, been inside, uh, nearby um, in Southside, Virginia, but these churches, going way, way back, the institution with that name had a direct connection with the institution of slavery um, before the Civil War, but especially in the uh, 1700s. And um, you, uh, uh, it's a very legitimate uh, kind of purgative uh, um, investigation and exploration. But what was so interesting was that the headline was in a paper from just last week. Now, what the headline, in my opinion, could have read was, Virginia Episcopal Churches Wrestle with Survival. Virginia Episcopal Churches Wrestle with Extinction. Virginia Episcopal Churches Wrestle with the possibility that they may have lost uh, 60-70% of their congregation because of COVID and COVID anxieties and COVID fears and COVID protocols, and they are barely on life support. Now, that may not be true of the particular category as Virginia Episcopal Churches, but it would certainly be true of a lot of churches. Uh, Life support, and I was thinking about um, the slight kind of, I don't know, absurdity of the headline. You can't deal with something important if you're half dead. You have to first be revived. Uh, There was a terrible incident uh, in connection with the execution in, I want to say, 1554, but it may have been 1553, of the Duke of Suffolk. Uh, He had led a uh, failed and short-lived rebellion against Bloody Mary in the phase of the English Reformation that involved the death of many Protestants at the hands of the Catholic monarch. And um, he had led a, uh, he was being executed, uh, his head chopped off on Tower Hill as penalty for his part in trying to rescue the uh, uh, nine-day 
pregnant period of his daughter, Jane Grey. And he had uh, been caught and uh, was being executed. And he died really a Protestant martyr. That's a whole other story. He was, in fact, a committed Protestant, the Duke of uh, Suffolk, at the end of this terrible chapter. <clears throat> and he's just about to be executed there. And suddenly, out of the crowd, a man appeared and said, My Lord, you owe me a hundred pounds. My Lord, what about the debt you owe me? Someone, a creditor, uh, had come to the execution. My Lord, stop everything. You owe me, but let's say, 100 pounds. And uh, everybody was speechless. And the, the Duke, I mean, imagine, right before he's to lose his life in this terrible situation, he says, my, he says, my good man, please mark the hour. Mark the time. This, this is not the time to bring something like this up. Uh, uh, quote, I'm about to be killed, about to die. And the man was persistent. And finally, the Duke of Suffolk, whose name I think was Brandon, said to him, well, see my bailiff. <laughs> you know, go back to Suffolk and see my, my bailiff. But imagine that, that um, a, a, a debt, a financial debt, should have interfered with the moment in which this man is uh, dying forever, losing his uh, worldly life. That's really a little bit like uh, the headline. Um, we are, uh, the great issues of life are survival, emotional, physical, spiritual survival. And really, you might say, victory ultimately, hopefully over death, as in Javis May's song, which touched me so, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. I heard that song at City of Destiny and was just devastated by it and also deeply helped by it. Um, what I'm trying to say is you want to look at the big picture. And um, the big picture, it, well, it's a little bit like, uh, if I can, you know, in Christianity, in the gospel, in the New Testament, the big picture is the benign plan of God in our life. And so we see something terrible that's happened to us or something awful or something really deeply arresting from our past, which I'm going to call phosphorus in just a minute. And we say to ourselves, oh, my gosh, how can I ever recover from that? I, uh, I'm, in, I'm, I'm the vassal of that particular episode or incident forever. How can I possibly recover? Well, I can only recover if I see it as really part of God's benign, merciful plan. In other words, hard as it may be to imagine, but it's crucial. God was working his purpose out, to quote Nicholas Nickleby and to quote a great song, uh, him, I should say, uh, in this disaster so something else better could happen. Now, that's a message I hear all the time from Paula White, but I also hear it from all religions. I mean, many religions. This was, this, there was a purpose behind it that you didn't see. There's an unseen hand in the phosphorus uh, of human pain that you cannot see. And you've got to be able somehow, and I hope this podcast will help you, to detach from the <clears throat> specific engrossing emotional um, attachment to this particular pain that is often um, um, reified or made substantial through a song. This is true, at least for many guys, not quite so much as, as for, the, you know, for the women that I know, although that's, uh, they have other forms of this, but the guys get arrested on songs. They get stuck on a song because they're stuck on a tragic moment. And um, in uh, Marjorie Lawrence's remarkable oeuvre, there's a story, <clears throat> I think it's among her three best stories, entitled The Mystery of the Bronze Door, in which a young couple with two small children in London 
are having some problems obvious to anyone who knows them in their relationship. Something as a shadow has fallen over their relationship. There's, there's not been a third party yet, and there's not been any horrible scenes, but we're moving in the direction of a frosty reserve, which might in fact, and a real sorrow in the wife, and a kind of odd, irrational anger in the man that is going somewhere very negative, and a detective is summoned. Uh, he's a supernatural detective to sort of take a sounding, and it turns out that the couple is the victim, especially the man, but through him, his wife, of something that happened in China 3,000 years ago. Now, it's a supernatural ghost story, right? So give it, some, give it plenty of room. <clears throat> it's about a past life, a past experience, to say the least, that is impinging on the present. The power of the story <clears throat> is that it shows you, in an, obviously a radical metaphor, <laughs> to say the least, that you are only a part of something much, much larger. And this particular experience you're having is, in fact, if you can just take a look for a minute at the bigger picture, which the detective, whose name is Panoyer, is able brilliantly to do, you'll find that it's it's part of a much uh, bigger picture. Uh, just uh, uh, And the picture has to do with life and death. It's uh, like uh, Virginia Church's wrestle with legacy of spiritual malaise equals death equals coronavirus. Uh, that's really, uh, it's not about something that is important and can be dealt with and looked at and should be looked at, but right now can't be looked at because I'm about to have my head chopped off. And um, I'm asking you to look at what's really happening in your life. Now, the GPS of your life or the way to look at your life, and now I'm going to make a few sort of statements, call them apophatic statements. I'm going to make a few just statements. This uh, uh, podcast, in my mind, has a little bit of the character of one I did long ago called um, called um, uh, Super 8 uh, about <clears throat> because that was a climactic hinge point in my podcast and this is a I feel this I feel I've been given something important to try to communicate now there is a movie from about the year 1942 or 43, a, a Hollywood B-movie starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel, whatever his name is, um, a Sherlock Holmes movie uh, in that era. Uh, it's very good, but it's not very good. A little lame, ultimately, but it starts well. It's called Sherlock Holmes and the Scarlet Claw. And in this <clears throat> movie, which you can easily see, it takes place in French-speaking Canada, and there's a monster out on the moors at night that is killing people. And this monster has been seen by a few people who got away before it killed them, and it has a face that is glowing, a hideous glowing face, glowing hands, and glowing feet. And uh, is it a werewolf? Is it a, some kind of ghost? Is it a, it's some kind of terrible monster and in fact is committing murders. Now we later find out that the murders are being committed for a particular human reason. And in fact, it's not a monster. It's a man who has reason to do what he does, these horrible, horrible criminal actions for which he is caught. And uh, he, he is, Sherlock Holmes solves the mystery and he is put phosphorus on his hands and on his face and on his um, feet at night, his bare feet, so that he glows in the dark. And as he walks, he leaves phosphorus footprints that people kind of follow and they're terribly scared. And if he touches a twig or a branch of a tree as he walks along or he falls over for a minute or when he tries to strangle someone, he leaves a trail of phosphorus and it's this glowing, uh, easy to follow trail. And Sherlock Holmes figures it out. Now, the power of that 
is a metaphor for human life because we are, to quote Paula White, and this is not Gnostic, this is very true to the New Testament, we are, she says, spiritual beings having a human experience. Now, that is another way of saying we are spirits, God, we are, we are souls or spirits embodied in flesh and blood. And if you've been with dead people ever in your life and you've seen a dead person, you know that once the spirit of the life has gone out of the person, you have a body, but the person's not actually there. And you cannot help but know that. It's just as clear as a bell. It comes at you. The person, your mother, your wife, your child, is your uncle is not there, your friend. Only what it was his carcass, his, his uh, and you give that due honor. The um, we are spiritual beings, and, and, but we're phosphorus. We're shining lights. We're phosphorus. And every time we bump into another spiritual being in some powerful, communicative, um, communing, connected, relational way, we leave phosphorus. Now, sometimes we leave not much phosphorus because there wasn't much to the relationship. Sometimes we leave a lot of phosphorus because there was a lot to the relationship and our whole self came out to this person's whole self and it's like an explosion of phosphorus. Phosphorus is everywhere. Other times we were rejected and there's phosphorus there but it's not two-sided. It's one-sided phosphorus because we tried. Our inner self, our soul, our spirit came out in phosphorus but it, it stayed there. It wasn't it wasn't doubled. And so um, if you want to look at your life, songs are a kind of phosphorus because the song that you were listening to during this period of rejection or during this period of, a, of acute uncertainty or more likely a period of ecstatic um, um, connection with another spiritual being having a human experience, the songs you listen to then are indelibly on you. They are the phosphorus that leads you to your point of cathartic, abreactive uh, effusion of your real self and your heart. So if you want to look back in your life, there may be a period in your teens or in your even earlier than that or later than that when it's just a lot of phosphorus. And you see that that's where the <clears throat> climactic and determining events of your life. And then you go into the second third of your life where you're basically just trying to stay afloat. You're trying to make a living. You're trying to raise small children. You're trying to be, stay married. You're trying to be a good person. You're trying to, you're facing all sorts of, you're trying to look after your parents. You're facing all sorts of, you're going to the Department of Motor Vehicles to get a new driving license. You're, you're, you're facing a whole lot of this world hurdles. And there might not be much phosphorus there at all. Because we know that to be true, because when you get to your third, third, last third of life, God has so constructed human brains and human minds and human beings that they tend to go back to where the phosphorus was. And the phosphorus is almost always in the first third. It was sort of not much phosphorus. Maybe at one time something happened that caused phosphorus to come out. But the second third is pretty easy to scan because there's not much there. And then you, the third of your life, the last third, you're having to reconcile yourself with some phosphorus that escaped. And boy, you wish you had it back. And uh, so my point is that if you look at your life in that way, you see the big picture. It's not just um, you're wrestling with a problem that is accurate from the second third of your life, but you're wrestling for your very existence. You're Charles Brandon about to be executed. And uh, the phosphorus is not the, uh, the ridiculous um, interruption of a totally self-absorbed person asking you to pay a, a, a bill. Um, and um, we need to be rescued, to quote Fontelabas. Now, I'm going to conclude with um, what uh, Dr. Tom Calhoun says, uh, because there's a positive thing. This, this you, you, to, to, to get, to, to, to find your, your way out of the uh, kind of arrested moment of, of uh, 
illumination from the phosphorus because you must get out of it because you'll die in a case of arrested development and you don't want to do that there have been wonderful stories written about that you want to that's why scrooge's tale he has to start by going back to the past which was really a past of of rejection and in one case his own rejection of someone else the most important case that being that one and his early aloneness and lack of mother and father on school holidays. You you have an extraordinary picture of a man who has to go back to where the phosphorus was, and the ghost of Christmas past leads him to that. <clears throat> and then he sees the consequences of it in his own alienated, uh, stunted life in the present. Now, um, the um, Dr. Calhoun says we... To, to get out of these, the, the, from the places of the phosphorus, which blind us into thinking there's nothing else. We, we, we stay there our whole lives under a, a, an illusion. You, you, you um, it's R-A-I-N, rain. R for recognize, A for accept, I for investigate, and N for non-attaching, or disattaching, I would say. R-A-I-N. I'm trying to help a, a, a listener recognize the phosphorus, and the song is the point of recognition for many, many of us. That's not just me. Uh, that is something that um, you find out as you... The songs have enormous power. Um, Remember what Burton Cummings sang, uh, we went together for so long, every second record on the radio felt like our song. Um, and that's the penalty you pay for the connection of a phosphorus song to an ecstatic moment and afterwards the rejection and the alienation and the loneliness, which we're going to come upon as we listen to Len Berry, the chorus of one, two, three. That's about to come. Um, the... Um, recognize, accept, you have to assimilate and accept, assimilate the negativity, it has to be accepted, it can't be gotten around, it can't be um, jettisoned, it can't be thrown out of the airlock, it has to be accepted, uh, recognize, accept, investigate, well that's what I'm asking you to do, I'm giving you a clue here with the phosphorus, go to the places where the phosphorus is still on the tree or the twig or the ground, where the footprint of the phosphorus is, and you'll investigate it, but finally, non-attaching. The power of Marjorie Lawrence's story, The Bronze Door, is that Panoyer, the detective, is able to disattach without even the young, a somewhat estranged couple realizing it. He's able to disattach them from a kind of a, kind of a past life negative influence that's 3,000 years old. He sees the big picture, which they don't, but he is able to completely detach, and the result is that the, the influence is ended. The door is closed, the bronze door is sold, and the couple are reconciled in the most touching and delightful, and may I even say um, intimate, uh, manner, uh, which is perfectly and absolutely the right way to go. And um, also in Providence, you see that God was working through this thing, and what you were looking for, whatever it was, whoever it was, what you were looking for was actually, you were looking for connection in the phosphor, in the deepest eternal sense, and ultimately that is with God. And it may well be with another person, because it, uh, yes, it's, it's sort of more to do with you than the object. I mean, it, it could be, I mean, Frank Lake once said something amazing. He said, you know, there are probably at least, I've probably met about at least 11 women over, he said this not in, a, in the in remotely um, in a wrong personal way. He said it. He said it with with a kind of detachment that was striking. He was an old man. He said, "You know, I probably over the years I might have met I might have met possibly oh I can perhaps imagine maybe ten or ten or eleven 
women over the years with whom I probably could have been happily married. <laughs> 11 or 12, and I, and, 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 I think about that. Um, what a wonderful thing to say. In other words, it's really about, that sounds like a derogation from the specialness of Sylvia Lake, his actual wife, but it's not. It's not. It's a, it's a statement about the, the first person in the relationship is you. And you're looking for something which you find, and thank God, and then it's becomes a, it's a kind of eternal quality to a successful connection. But um, uh, it, it is really more about y you and the moment you see, and God, because God, you were looking for something that ultimately only God can provide, but um, it, it can be provided by another. Uh, you, that's why we... we um, Paul often says, you know, if you can just get rid of the old relationship that is doing you ill, and um, God has, has, has a better relationship, not even a new relationship or another relationship, but a better relationship. And I can certainly swear to that um, in my own uh, experience. So um, that's what I wanted to say. Recognize, accept, investigate, and non-attaching. And now we're just going to hear a wonderful song from 1964 by uh, uh, Philadelphia soul artist Len Berry. One, two, three. The heart. 